Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Well, well, welcome back. I am George Armistead. I am with Alvaro Jaramillo. We are doing another episode of Life List, a birding podcast. Alvaro, we're both back home. How are you doing, man? I'm well, I'm doing really great. Uh, it's uh, weird to do this now back, like uh, seeing you through the screen. Yes. And we did two of these, uh, you know, uh, mano a mano, as they say. <laughs> kara a kara. That's right. Uh, kara yeah. a kara. Kara kara. Yep. Kara kara. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, definitely, um, there was uh, some adjustment period of uh, getting getting back into the, the swing of things here. But, of course, I think just like you, we were away for such a long time that there was a mountain of stuff to do. So you didn't have any time to rest. Um, just got to, like, plow through, get things done, wash dishes a lot so that the family feels like you're right in the thick of things again. You mm-hmm. know? Just give them the illusion, the illusion that you're in the thick of things, right? Yeah, that's just right. Just to wash. You, you washed a spoon and then back to the normal? Y- yeah, well, yeah, you, you know, you, you, you wash a, a dish and you look at the white and then of the dish and you're thinking of Antarctica and suddenly <laughs> penguins and, you know, you realize you've been washing the same dish for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And really yeah, cleaning yeah, that dish. Yeah. Really cleaning that dish and your mind's elsewhere. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so how's it going for you? What, do you? what have you been doing since you've been back in terms of the bird world? Yeah, I, uh, I got home. I had one day of rest, unpack, repack, and then promptly set out on a tour of the Delaware Valley here, uh, Hillstar Tour. Oh. And... Uh, yeah, we we had you know we're searching for winter birds. We were um, we're looking for kind of western vagrants a little bit. It's a good time of year for that. We hit the well-known Barnegat Lighthouse State Park, which uh, which did not disappoint. It had its usual assortment of of uh, of cool sea ducks, including lots of uh, handsome harlequin ducks and common eiders and. There was a big flock of snow buntings that got up and flew off to the other side before we really got a look, good look at them, but it was still cool to see them. And we also had glaucus gull, and we had Iceland gull, and we had Ipswich sparrows. So that was really cool. A nice bunch of folks um, to travel with. And yeah, so I got home from that, and then I've been home like, what, three days now since that, just in time to uh, to watch my beloved Philadelphia Eagles pick up their 12th win of the Whoa. season best record in football and also catch a little bit of world cup world cup that's football as they say football or else mm-hmm. yeah and um ipswich sparrow uh, it's not in my book i can't find it <laughs> <laughs> for those of it's, you who don't know that's that's a kind of savannah sparrow that nests just on one single eye canadian island uh, what's that called again sable, sable island? island yeah sable island. Little, it's like a nine-mile stretch of beach with hardly a shrub or two on it, I think. Way, way, way offshore. Um, yeah, I forget how far out it is, but, man, it's smack in the middle of nowhere. It's got to be a heck of a good migrant vagrant trap if you're a biologist staying out there. I don't think too many other folks end up out there. Yeah. But fascinating place and a fascinating little bird. I really think they should split it again. I don't really know the – again, this is purely based on my – my uh, what I would like to happen, not necessarily uh, yeah. what genetics might state. It's a it is a distinctive phenotype, and and they're they're really they're beautiful actually, really pale, well marked savannah sparrow. Um, yeah, and yeah, they just kind of winter kind of between Cape Cod and Cape Hatteras. I think is kind of the is kind of the stretch, and they're just along coastal dune habitat. And uh, yeah, quite pretty, nice bird to see. Uh, we it, saw several. Well. If I remember right, the first savanna sparrow that was found in the UK was a Ipswich sparrow. And wow, I did it, not know it that. It was yeah down like South Portland Bill or something. And I remember discussing it with my prof, uh, Jim Rising, who was like a savanna sparrow guru. He studied their the whole deal of, you know, their geographic. Not variation. just a Savannah sparrow guru. He was just like, he was a sparrow guru, right? Yeah, the yeah book. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But Savannah's were his, that was his bread and butter actually, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I remember talking to him about it and he said, well, that's, that's the one you would expect. He said, it's, it's really big. 
It does over what it's like a, it's a really big sized savanna and it does these long, it has to do a longish overwater flight. So it's like it can store fat. It's big, bulky, kind of robust. And even, even if it did uh, do a little uh, ship uh, riding, you know, it, it would be the one that you'd expect. And I was thinking, huh, interesting. Like I hadn't thought about it that way from vagrancy perspective, but uh, yeah, I mean, vagrancy like that you know uh, gosh you know you were thinking of i was thinking of the black catbird i was actually we you know the there was there's a black cat two black catbird records for the u.s that are being voted on you know and for you know and one of them was on a ship and the Hmm. other one was a specimen in texas and and you're sort of thinking like those things just don't move, you know, or it's difficult to, you know, it's different than a gray capper that moves all over the place and has long overwater flights. Um, and then brings us back to things like what we don't know about birds, right? The red legged honey creepers. Obviously yeah. they do move and, and can make real huge jumps, you know, as they did this last uh, season. Uh, and, Few people have sort of seen them moving in 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 uh, Central America, Mexico, but they do, right? Uh, it's kind of interesting to sort of contemplate all that vagrancy stuff as we have done in the past. Uh, yes, love vagrancy, especially. Yeah, I think you're right, especially with birds that we don't think of as moving very much, like black cat birds and red legged honey creepers. There is quite a bit of alert, a lot a lot to learn there still. Um, yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. I didn't know about those black cat birds. That's actually a bird that would be a genuine lifer, not just an ABA lifer, but a bird right. I need overall. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Someday. Someday yeah. soon. I hope. I've I've uh, seen them out in Belize and you know out there and and you know I'm we're gonna do a little quick trip to Cozumel with the family Ooh. this Christmas. So you, you're you're going to rediscover the thrasher. I think I'm going to rediscover uh, the bottom of a glass full of beer. It's <laughs> <laughs> going to be more of a family vacation. Maybe. Uh, nice. Um, yeah. Uh, do a little snorkeling. I, I was uh, hoping, you know, it's not the right season for some of the real cool things to, to, to snorkel with like whale shark, but um, maybe, maybe go out and try to find some, stingrays or something kind of exciting for for the fam to see you know that's that's part of where that big big barrier reef kind of extends in is that correct or is that a different set of reefs there uh you yeah i don't know yeah i'd have to take a look at a map i'm i gotta re i'd have to re-familiarize but i know there's when you're talking about whale sharks you got me thinking yeah there's there's some interesting uh endemics in in the island but i think even more interesting from my perspective is that although it's like, you know, it's a really close to the Yucatan, it holds several species that are strictly Caribbean in, in distribution. So it's like, it's, it's a little bit of a Caribbean Island. Historically, it's, it has, uh, you know, some stuff that you just would not expect to be there, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, but then again, you know, Cuba is not that far away. So, um, it's true. In Dallas are there, for example, yet they're right. not on the mainland. And the the banana quits that are there are apparently related to the ones in the Bahamas, not the ones that are on the mainland. So a bunch of weird things like that. That that kind of things really excites me more than the potential lifers. Weirdly enough, just right, to see seeing sort of, of the the regional variants of birds yeah. you know from elsewhere that aren't really around there yeah. otherwise. And a house wren, a house wren is oh, there, yes. Cozumel house wren, which is pro- probably, you know, whatever. Your house wren fetish is well established, Telbro. Yes, I think everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mi casa es su casa, as the house wren <laughs> says. <laughs> a, yeah, nobody's going to get that joke. Yeah. Pretty anyway. good. Not bad. Not bad. Um, nice. Well, have you been watching yourself any World Cup, Al? Has have you have you got uh, you know I, I'm have you got a, a a pulling interest? Anybody a rooting interest in this uh, this tournament? Yeah, yeah. Um, but let me let me first say that I arrived on the day of my birthday 
here, like midday. And by 3 p.m., I went out birding very quickly, but a mile away from my house and saw a snow bunting, which is a a big vagrant that's been hanging around. And I actually twitched it because I just wanted to see a snow bunting and a snow petrel, essentially, you know, probably in a week period. So That's pretty good. That's pretty solid. That's solid. It's a good mashup. Yeah. Uh, World Cup. Um, I've been, I, I had a dream that what the, fe- the, the best finish would have been England versus Argentina. Oh, yeah. Um, but England's out. England versus Argentina would have been kind of fit into our motif here of where we were. Yes. The Falklands War happens in 1982 or something. 1982. And yeah. So, uh, and that's, that was, followed a couple of years later by the world cup where maradona famously punched the ball into the uh the net mano and, de dios uh, yeah that's right the hand of god and then you would think he would have been labeled well i, I think obviously the british fans think he's you know the devil the argentines <laughs> think he's god and uh he would have been labeled like the worst player in history after doing that, even though it wasn't, I guess, obvious at the time to the ref. I don't, I don't know. I he kind of, as I recall, he kind of hit his, his hand was kind of, his fist was kind of like hidden behind his head as he like right. went for a header. Right. Yeah. And I, apparently it's pretty clear they hit it with his hand, you know? And, yeah. He kind of punched it right in. Punched yeah. it in. And then, uh, but then like minutes later in that same game, he scored what some people think is the best goal in World Cup history. We basically took it from his side and went through like every single person in the British team, like, or like almost like a cartoon right around every one of them, like, you know, saunters up to the net and scores a goal. So I would have, that would have been awesome, but that's not happening. We're, we're, you know, down to France, Morocco, Argentina, Croatia. And I got to say, I'm, least interested in France. Yes. Sure same, same for me. I, I don't really, it doesn't, that doesn't much matter. It doesn't amount to much to me for France yeah, to do I, anything. It's, I haven't been there. You know, I have friends from France, but I don't have any connection. Um, and I would say what I would love is to Argentina to win. Cause I have yes. so many friends, connections, neighbor country to the country I was born in, even though, there's a big rivalry there when the two countries are playing together, you know, against each other. So it's a little weird to choose your rival, but, um, that there's that. And I think Morocco is kind of a fun story. Yes. Those are the, that's the Cinderella team. And those are the two teams I'd like as well. Having, I think I've spent more time in Argentina than any other country aside from the U S and, uh, that's, I, I would definitely like for them to win, but I've been to Morocco quite a few times as well. So I feel, I feel some, you know, kinship, uh, and they have been a fascinating, uh, uh, Cinderella story to see them, what yeah. they've done. So that would be a, a really compelling final Croatia. Great for them. I, you know, I don't really, I just don't have a dog in their, in their fight. But. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that Croatia, I always think about when they win is that there's a lot of Croatian immigrants in the far, far South of Chile, like Tierra del Fuego and Punta Arenas. And, each one of them has these big Croatian club where there's like a restaurant, whatever. And I can just imagine like hundreds of people, you know, there, you know, when the Croatia wins in the, in the middle of nowhere in, in Patagonia, all these fans. And I think that's kind of neat too. That, and, but obviously the same goes for Morocco. They probably have random pockets of fans all over. They, they probably have as many fans in, in France, you know, as they, they do in, in you know, in a lot of other places, it's true. given how many immigrants, you know, have, have, have gone to the rest of Europe. And, um, yeah, but gosh, you know, you know, uh, Killian, um, uh, oh man, I'm blanking out his name from France. No, uh, from France, uh, the, oh. the player, uh, well, he, he's, he's, uh, you know, a lot of people say probably the best player out there in the world right now, but historically and thinking of guy Mbappe. getting old and all that, um, yeah, um, Messi is really, yeah. really. Uh, I mean, he's still good and he's old, and he has not won a World Cup, and it just would be kind of a that would be a little bit of a Cinderella story too, you know. Yeah. Although the guy, the guys won everything else, 
He it has, just seems yeah. like proper. Um, oh, it would be it would be fun to see him when you know add that to you know certainly for a generation maybe ever he's you know an amazing player. I, I don't follow. I can't pretend to follow football as closely as many of my friends do, but I do enjoy the World Cup and kind of keep an eye on the Premier League a, a little bit. But and it, it would be a ton of fun to see uh, to mess to see Messi win it all, uh, and yeah. for Argentina as well. And the last thing I'll say about this whole deal is, <laughs> is you know, I, I posted something that you know you have to learn compassion. Like it's not something that comes naturally. You really have to work on it. But I smiled when I saw Ronaldo crying as he left. You know. <laughs> the stadium <laughs> and i have to work on my compassion i feel for him but i cannot feel for that guy i was gonna I say just so you know that's is. not what compassion is just so you're aware <laughs> that's kind of the opposite it might so yeah. might sooner term that schadenfreude but uh, yeah yeah that's yeah. what i have to work on my compassion okay so that makes see, more sense yeah. so um we have to work on it i just like i don't know why i don't like that guy you know yeah. but it seems to be a lot of people dislike him i did see that of, and all that of professional athletes he supposedly ronaldo supposedly donates more to charity than any other professional athlete now he probably makes more than anybody else as well yeah. but uh but still yeah apparently he's kind of a difficult teammate is, is what i gather um, yeah so. yeah but then there you go yeah well, the other big news I saw in pop culture lately, Alvaro, that I thought might be of keen interest to you is that Stevie Nicks and Billy Joel just released concert dates and have um, some shows coming up. Uh, <laughs> and why so, would I be interested? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 it, made, it actually did make me think of you. I was like, I wonder if Alvaro would be interested in that. And then I was like, I don't know that he has any interest in either of those people. I do no. love some, I love me some Stevie Nicks and I used to love me some Billy Joel, but I do find Billy Joel is one of those people that is a real divider. Like there are people that love Billy Joel and then there's a lot of people that just cannot stand him. Um, but in this household, we're we're kind of pro Billy Joel here, so uh, I was oh, really? kind of halfway looking no, at, no, at that, going. No, yeah, no, none of those. See, you know, when I was younger, when those people were sort of famous and really sort of happening, I was so counterculture that, I mean, um, when uh, this this um, Fleetwood Mac, the the woman, the the other woman, just passed away, I didn't know who she was. I had to look her up. And yeah, I'm. I've totally missed all all that, and and yeah, it's it's sort of uh, you know, uh, a total yeah, not. It wasn't your it wasn't your bag. It wasn't my bag. Yeah, you know? I've ha- I have many friends that are huge Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac fans. I have I've spent many late nights singing along to uh, to Fleetwood Mac songs. Um, so I feel like even though I wasn't a big fan myself, I've spent a lot of time um, listening to Fleetwood Mac over the years. And they're yeah, a great band. I mean, amazing band. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think if I heard heard a couple, I've, I've heard the big hits, I would know they were Fleetwood Mac, but I probably only know like the hits. Yeah, that's true for anything. me too. I don't know any, you know, B-side, uh, you know. It's not, like, it's not like ABBA is for you where you know all – all the I I know ABBA because my dad <laughs> played ABBA nonstop. I, know, I love this. Know, I know yeah. ABBA as I knew they had a Spanish record, right? <laughs> so there's all I know ABBA in Spanish. I know ABBA in Swedish. I know ABBA in English. Wow! And I have seen ABBA. I know this is one of my favorite pieces <laughs> of Alvaro trivia: is that your first concert that you ever went to was a an child. ABBA. An ABBA concert. Yeah. To me, that's like me. just he was a big yeah. fan. Yeah, that's amazing. All of that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, I uh I've I've been there. Big stadium, <laughs> hockey stadium, of course, it was Maple Leaf Gardens, and uh <laughs> saw ABBA. And uh no idea who opened or anything, um, uh, but I just remember like that was my first concert ever. Yeah. Like, Boy, wow, who would have this is big. Yeah. yeah. I, I picture like arena style, like big, big concert, probably lots of people, a lot of dancing going on, a lot of sing-alongs. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I don't remember as much as I should, but I remember cause you know, I was, 
I was pretty small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, my first concert was a pretty a pretty epic band as well, but it was kind of with an asterisk. It was the band um, who I saw just over in Jersey, across the river from Philly, uh, would have been about 1990. And, uh, but it was without their legendary singer, Robbie Robertson. So it was sort of like, you know, it was a little tainted, but still, I think it was kind of a cool band to have as your, your first concert. So. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we, later, we, you know, what was your first album? That was in this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed by this, oh, okay. but like it, it was probably uh, was Grease. It no, it was <laughs> probably Grease, like the soundtrack to Grease. But wow. then like Michael Jackson Thriller would have been soon thereafter. And, you know, those are the first couple I really remember. I, I had Back in Black by ACDC. See, that's a much better, that's, that's pretty strong right there. <laughs> pretty <Yeah>. strong. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think... uh Margaret Leonard on, you know, on, on the trip said, you know, I've listened to your podcast and sometimes you don't talk at all about birds. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think, she, I, think, I think she was partially, I think she kind of enjoyed some of that, but also was like, when are they going to get to the bird nuggets? Yeah, get you know? to the good stuff. Yeah. Get to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and perhaps we should, um, you know, Margaret, Mar Margaret raised many a good point. Um, and uh yeah i uh i remember i remember her fondly she had lots of <laughs> fun and interesting things that she raised um quite a sense of humor on that one um yeah, yeah um well we were going to talk out because we kind of covered i think most of the legs of our cruise on our our couple other recordings um while we were recording at sea there aboard the ocean diamond um, but we never really discussed South Georgia, Ooh. which a lot of people don't, you know, when you, th when you tell people you're going on a cruise to Antarctica, they, they often don't even know what South Georgia is, or they don't right. really realize that it's arguably the high point of the typical birding route that is done down there. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, like maybe uh, maybe maybe you want to tell folks what did what did you like about South Georgia best? What stuck out to you? So I, I think there's there's a, a thought that goes through my head that there's a, probably a bunch of birders that have gone to Antarctica just to the peninsula, and then later see those photographs of like thousands of king penguins and go, oh geez, we didn't go there. It's because that's not in Antarctica. Yes. That's in South Georgia. So those classic images that everybody associates with Antarctica, because it tends to be part of a trip going to Antarctica, of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of king penguins or the big elephant seal bulls and the fur seals and, and the whole sort of shenanigans of huge numbers of critters, you know. That yeah, is all South Georgia. Yeah. And um, it's the albatross, you know, albatross colonies and, um, you know, the rock hoppers or macaroni penguins and stuff like that, you know, they are in South Georgia, you know, some of them in the Falklands too. There's, there's an element of the Falklands gets missed as well as a, a fantastic place that should be on the, uh, the schedule if you're heading down there. But to me, um, man, um, I, I was, I had trepidation over some aspects of South Georgia because last time I was there, I got caught in bad, bad weather while I was on a Zodiac. Dude. And in fact, I've been was, waiting. Uh, I've been waiting on this story. Are you going to, are you going to, are you going to, are you going to finally give me the, give me the skinny on this? Okay. So. Yeah. We we went uh, to St Andrews Bay. It, that's one of the one of the the biggest. Yeah, I think it's the biggest now. The biggest, yeah, biggest of, king of, penguin colony. King penguins. Beautiful morning, fantastic morning. Um, it was sunny, just you know, not a cloud in the sky, no wind, nothing. We head out. Um, we had to cross this creek, 
um, to to get to the colony. So we had a little boots on and we cross this creek. We go visit the colony and we're taking photos. We're having a great time. And then like out of nowhere, a breeze begins, a very warm breeze. I remember like it was like weirdly warm. And the breeze in minutes becomes like wind. And then seriously, in 15 more minutes, it's suddenly like a heavy wind. Like thundering and, down. Yeah, thundering down. Um, and the radios, you know, the the walkie-talkies all start talking, okay, this is uh, catabatic wind. And it's rolling. It's You know, you guys can look it up, the physics of it. But it's this wind rolling over the cold mountains and it speeds up. And it can kind of go out of hand. So we decide to start bringing people back to their ship because it's it's going to get worse. And we start um, taking people back. And in those days, unlike today when there's a lot more, you know, rules and regulations of who can and cannot do certain things, I was actually one of the people helping with the with the boats. And, and also I wasn't driving that day, but um, I was on the Zodiac bringing people back and forth and we shuttle back and forth. And there's a point in time where we are heading back towards the Island uh, to get sort of the last folks, maybe 10 or so are left in there to, to the ship. And the wind has gotten so bad that the waves, you know, I want to say they're 10, 12 foot crashing waves. And um, uh, Ted, uh, you know, who's driving the boat, he says to me, Look, man, we're gonna flip over. The wind is so bad. You gotta like, kind of be the ballast in the front of the boat to keep this thing from flipping, you know. And I tied my sort of tied myself around the rope so I wouldn't get flung, you know, off off the boat. I had my survival suit and the whole deal. But it was gnarly. It was one of those times when I was like truly scared. Yet the adrenaline was so high that you were doing things and you were you you were working through issues we're not going fast obviously in these waves but still like they are you know the boat is launching in the air and dropping into the water like with a big bang you know kind of thing and during one of those my shoulder got caught in the rope and just snapped like you know like i could feel like oh that was bad you know it, it turns out it was uh, I dislocated it, but I didn't know at the time. You know, I just we just kept on going. But <laughs> then, then you know, we eventually get this boat all the way to to the shore, and the captain by that point, you know, about halfway through, he just said he called off all boat operations. It's like get that boat to shore and then just wait, you know, because we're not going to have anybody else in the water, and. uh so we so at, so at this point you've got still some guests that are on land that need to get back land. to the boat and right. you've been shoveling and so you're bringing it back to try to get them and now you're realizing that you're Realize, not no, going anywhere for we're not bit. going anywhere we're gonna we're gonna have to wait this out on land and um we we get the boat over I remember we we got them on on we hauled them out they must have been lighter than the ones that we had this time but I remember we actually um hauled them out and then we we sort of sat between we had i think two boats and we we sat between them and the wind was so strong we needed like shelter from the wind um so we were kind of trying to lie down beneath beside the boat just so that the sand wouldn't hit our faces and standing up was difficult that's how how much wind there was how many folks how many people were there about 10 mm-hmm. i think 10 to 12 and then um, we we realize there's like a survival cabin, like that's in the distance, maybe a mile away, a little hut that the British government has sort of set out aside for people. And um, we we say, okay, we gotta we gotta get ourselves over there because we have no idea how long this is gonna take. You know, if it's gonna be like an hour or five hours. And uh, but remember that creek I told you about? Yeah, it had suddenly become a raging torrent because the warm air had started melting all of the snow oh up top. And then the the thing is raging. So, but we, we thought we can do this if we form a human chain, <laughs> you know, like it was classic, you know, like yelling at each other in the wind, you know, grab his arm, grab the arm, keep get to the chopper, you know, get to the, you know, and then it's like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, 
it was, we got everybody through this, this stream and, um, walked over to this cabin and it was unlocked and we, we went in there and there was only enough room for us to just sort of stand up. We were all wet. Um, fortunately we weren't cold because the, the air had gotten warm and inside the cabin we were, we weren't cold. But I remember I was so at that point, there was a point where like all of the adrenaline drained out of me and I fell asleep standing up. Oh man. Like with, you know, kind of held by all the other people. And I'm yeah. just like, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it was sleep or if it was just like almost deep like meditation, deep out. forced <laughs> yeah. meditation. Right. Jeez. Highlight though was they had what they call hardtack in there. You know, it's like these bits of food that survived like decades. You can just leave them there, kind of like weird crackers. And hmm. uh, we, you know, we're like hungry. So we start eating the hardtack and people are like, Oh man, this is gross. And I'm like, actually, I kind of like this stuff. I mean, I would buy this, you know. I remember I was the only one who's who had a you know an interest in the hardtack. Wow. Um, but it took us 10 hours, I want to say, oh, man. for the whole thing to go down. And and then we sort of came out when we were called up and um and it was sunny again, the wind had died down. And it was just like, was this a dream? You know, like it That's came out of nowhere. Time. It's it's and it's left. You know, like, but it was a long time. The ship actually was had to go away. Uh, it had you know sort of find shelter and, someplace more sh- yeah, sheltered it, bay. Yeah, it went to find shelter or just get away from from the big waves. You know, just sort of away from the island. Just yeah, I guess they could just worry. go offshore a little bit, probably. And yeah, and, uh, but. By the time we started, you know, we got everything kind of going again and, you know, we, we, we got the, the, the Zodiacs going and we took people back. The, the waves were roly. They were big, but they weren't, they weren't breaking. So it wasn't that bad. But the, the swell was going up so high, you know, up and down that getting the folks out of the Zodiac to the, you know, on the, the gangway, gangway was, was right. one of those things where like, the big Russian sailors just grab people up top of the, the rise and just, you know, pull them in, you know, and, wow. and, uh, um, there was a big welcoming committee. They'd made signs and, you know, welcome back, you know, the, the, you know, St. Andrew's 10 or whatever we were called. And, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of a party. We, we had a, a big celebration, but then I had to go see the doctor for my shoulder. It was this old Russian lady who spoke no English. Oh my Again, gosh. it was the old days before they had proper, you know, kind of, uh, yeah. And uh, she basically twisted my arm so that it was an in incredible pain. And She's said, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then said, ah, you're going to be all right. Uh, that's it. You know, and there was no, no nothing, you know, and there were other doctors on board. Like, Here's a Tylenol. Yeah. Yeah. The other doctors were like, you know, you got to get uh, some uh, more, pain meds here and this and that. So they, they helped me out. But I still, to this day, have, I've had this shoulder operated on. And to this day, I still have pain uh, from that event. And when we were there, if you remember, do you remember just now, like it was, it was nice and beautiful and we got out there and then this warm yeah. wind started. Yeah. I, I started kind of freaking out. I, well, that's I what I remember. Like, I didn't know this story somehow. I don't recall you ever having told it to me before. And, and I was like, and I think I looked at you and I was like, are we going to get some catabatic winds here or something? And the look on your face was sort of like, it was not one of amusement. It was one yeah. of like, and then you were like, I got stuck out here once. And I was like, really? And I wanted to know the story right then. You were like, I'm not, I'm, we're not going to revisit that right now. Maybe once we're back on land, like continental <laughs> land, another time, I'll give you the rundown. So that's actually the first time I've heard the whole, the whole yeah. story. I knew something happened, but I wasn't exactly sure what. It was, it, yeah, it was intense. And uh, I, I don't think this kind of thing could have happened now. We have more information about whether, how it, you know, um, also, probably more more zodiacs you know happening where we can get move people back and forth more quickly wow well that is quite an experience you had out there i can't imagine you know for me i'm just walking around thinking this is an incredibly beautiful place yeah. I, I have experienced catabatic winds um uh, one time actually at uh, i guess uh in dragalski fjord uh at, at uh, south georgia there but we 
we just kind of boated away from it. It became clear we were not going to get any further into that fjord, which is one of the most beautiful places on South Georgia. We didn't get to hit that this time, but uh, hopefully in the future. But I also remember in Ushuaia one time birding around the grounds of the hotel there. And all of a sudden, as you say, there was like a little burst of warmer air. And I guess what these catabatic winds are, right, is basically denser, uh, thicker air rushing down a mountainside, kind of filling a vacuum is my understanding. And, and, uh, and it, it changes in pressure. So the pressure changes the temperature and the speed. So there's like the energy has to go somewhere. So they, yeah. Yeah. And they can be like hurricane force, hundred, hundred plus mile an hour winds, um, yeah. which is sounds like exactly what you're experiencing. And yeah, they, they do, they do pretty um, impressive and at times disturbing things. But I remember we experienced those in Ushuaia and I just, we were out birding, looking at ground tyrants and stuff. And all of a sudden I was like, this wind came up and I just grabbed my, the, one of the legs of my tripod of my scope. And it, and I feel like if I hadn't grabbed it, it just would have like floated like a balloon off into like <laughs> the Beagle channel. Um, yeah. This is why I don't buy those really light <laughs> tripods. I, <laughs> I feel like, you know, you want to have at least 40 pounds underneath your. Yeah. The helium, helium <laughs> tripods are no good. Yeah. No good. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this, Al. Was was South Georgia as you remembered it? It had been quite a while. It had been a while for me. It had been over 10 years since I was there last. Um, it had been closer to 20 for you. Um, yeah. What's, me, what stuck out? Let me tell you this. It's And you seldom actually have this situation happen in the natural world or the birding world. It was better. It was better. The 20 years or so between visits – has allowed folks to go and eradicate a bunch of, um, you know, introduce mammals from there, mice, rats, I think it was. Um, mm -hmm. And now some of the species that used to be hard to find, the South Georgia pipit, uh, South Georgia pintail wasn't hard, but there weren't that, that many. A lot more of them now, and, yeah. Yeah. Like it is, it's, it's one of these things where you think like this is much more um, than what it used to be because of really careful management and um, and money spent on 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 all this you know sort of conservation work. So I was I was so impressed and you know the the penguins just the noise you know the the smells maybe not as uh, cool but uh, <laughs> you know the yeah. The first seals actually are, are the worst because they they smell like a locker room. Uh, yeah, full of, it's like uh, it's like nature. bad fish and sweat, you know. It's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but seeing all of that, Antarctic terns flying around, snow petrels, um, white chin petrels in the middle of the day flying inland to nesting, you know, areas. It's just kind of magical, you know. The um, and the the number of penguins, king penguins, and and the wildlife in general was, yeah, like I remember just masses, um, the sounds, yeah. the smells, everything. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You were talking. I mean, that whole experience you had with the catabatic winds there at St Andrews Bay, <laughs> that colony has only grown. Uh, the king penguins yeah. there are thousands stronger than they were 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Pretty impressive. And it's, it is the kind of place where you see all of those um, penguins and they are big penguins where you, you almost imagine like, can this colony fit into like the biggest stadium in the world? <laughs> you know, if there were people and <laughs> could they fit in think, the, the world mean, cup stadium big. in Qatar? Yeah. 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 Right. I think there's too many penguins. So, uh, it's a lot of penguins and it's uh there's all the stuff that goes on around them too the sheath bills that are looking for a free meal um the skuas that are patrolling around the marauders the Sku skuas are the marauders man they're like yeah. i got i got a couple of photos i was going through yesterday where one of them snagged an, a penguin egg and there there's like 15, 20 skuas all, they remind me of like the ring wraiths in like the Lord of the Rings. They're all just uh -huh. like these kind of, you know, fiendish looking 
dark birds that are have these you know crazy proportions just they look strong and fierce <laughs> and a little scary and man like you you don't you know I'd say one of the few times in my life I've actually been scared of a bird one was seeing cassowary in Australia and it got a little closer than I had bargained for and the other was when I got too close to a brown skua nest years ago on South Georgia and it, it it was like I never knew where the nest was and I was just trying to get away from it and the thing is just diving on me. And it's like the, when I first noticed it, it was like about a meter off the ground flying directly at me. And I was, and you could see the, the force that this thing is moving with. You're like, yeah. Oh my God. And then it just, you know, it veers up, dives down. Then the two of them are tag team and diving on me. And I'm just trying to get away from the nest. And I think in the process of trying to get away from the nest, I actually got closer to it. And then, <laughs> you know, they, they just kept diving like crazy, but seeing those things, you know, if you're up at a penguin colony, those those brown skuas there at the, at the king penguin colonies, they're just they really they put on a hell of a show. It's you kind of admire and fear them all at once. Yeah, yeah, and then there's the other aspect of them too, is that you know the identification and the you know this and that. So there, there's so much to do with skuas. You know, how many species yeah. are there? What do they call like? You know, so it, yeah. I, I like the Skua, the Skua show. I enjoyed the turn show, you know, um, the Antarctic turns and seeing. Oh yeah. You were totally nerding well. out on the turns. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that was, that was great. And I'm trying to get photographs of them, maybe later put some, uh, thing together on how to separate these Southern turns. And, and the kelp gull um, subspecies, you were quite keen on, on them throughout yeah. the trip. Yeah, that's, that's right. Actually kind of, confirmed with the photographs that they have a little bit more white on the wings than than the mainland ones so they they are different subspecies but i was felt like you know does it are they that different and they're not really that different but they are different enough that you can actually sort of say there's a there's a specific thing to look for here where you could say uh-huh this is more likely a antarctic bird than a mainland bird but pretty marginal compared to a lot of other subspecies. If, if we were looking at this level of stuff, we probably should have subspecies in herring gull here within North America, you know? So, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of it the is, other real, one of the other real identification challenges, arguably the hardest one, maybe, maybe not the hardest, right? There's quite a few, the prions are, are famously difficult. You, you kind of have to, spend some time, you know, you start out seeing slender build prions. And then as you get further south, you get into Antarctic prions and they kind of segregate pretty much. They don't really overlap a whole lot except, you know, at the margins a bit. But it, it seems like a fairly abrupt transition considering the sheer number of each that you're in among. And then we got to look for fairy prions, which, you know, we just saw very few of each. Um, but that's a fun challenge. And then, uh, and then there's the big albatrosses, the great albatrosses, the the wandering and the royal. Um, so those were those were a challenge as well. But probably the greatest challenge involved those little tiny diving petrels, because hmm. um, man, there it's like a little insect that you know you don't before you know it they're getting up out of the water and buzzing along low and away. They it was almost like sort of a shoot pictures first, ask questions later. Uh, pretty hard to ID those guys. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I like that you know sort of most of the sort of manuals of identification or, or what have you tell you to look for the shape of the underside of the bill, and you're like, yeah, right, <laughs> like, you know, from a from a ship, you know, six yeah. stories up, and uh, I'm going to be looking at the underside of the bill or the width of the bill. It, it's it's all pretty subtle stuff, and I think they haven't really figured out, you know, exactly how to tell one from the other. And there's populations that may be species level and the common diving petrel and South Georgia diving petrel is named for South Georgia, yet it has a wider distribution than that. And yet people were really going nuts wanting to see one, of course, uh, and, and trying to convince folks that you, you had seen one uh, was part of the challenge because, it's a little whiter, a little bit, you know, more, more stuff going on in the wings and, and a little, little bit more white around the sort of uh, 
auriculars, yet it's all such subtle stuff that you take a photograph and go, you see here, here's the photograph of that bird you just saw. It looks good. Um, but it's not satisfying in a sense, you know. No. Um, it's, uh, but I it's think definitely, eventually everybody said, yes, I saw one, you know. Yeah. There's definitely a few instances where it's like, did you see it well enough for me to count it? Because those yeah. are, they're tough birds to identify. And a lot of the times you're doing them, you're, you are identifying them after the fact. It's kind of, you know, imagine that you had three or four species of things that look like dove key that were like, you know, that, that kept that kind of distance. It's, uh, yeah. you know, that's really what you're kind of looking for. It looks like a small alcid, basically a really small alcid, uh, is kind of how they behave. Yeah. And, and speaking of alcids, there's a dove key. What do you want to call it? Like invasion? Yeah. Like uh, eruption. eruption. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, masses of them, at least in Massachusetts. Huge numbers, crazy numbers. And right next to shore. Um, yeah. Even, even some found, you know, dead on the beach. So obviously they're not doing well. Um, and at least not all of them. So this is, I don't remember such a big number ever. Like, in, you know, I mean, there's these kind of things happen from, Every so often, you know, there's a kind of a wind, a, re, a good winter for them. But this seems beyond that, like uh, historic level. And, um, you know, it is one of the, I think, two alcids that I've never seen in my life. Oh, that's right. Yes. Dubkey, the little auk. Yes, the, the little auk. Both great names, by the way. That's one of those ones where, like, I don't argue with the Brits on calling it a different name. Like, little auk is a great name. Dovekey yeah. is a great name as well. I just don't like right. it when people call them Devekis. That I can't stand for. But I, Devekis. Yeah. 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 That's not allowed. Yeah. Or little ook. No, nobody does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only you do that. Yeah. 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 Well, just just so, to give folks a sense of, I mean, it's pretty crazy. P Peter Flood, who's kind of the, um, resident expert sea watcher at, at Cape May and a tremendous or at uh, Cape Cod and a tremendous seabird expert overall. He noted that uh, at First Encounter Beach in Easton, Mass, that there was an astounding eighteen thousand plus dove keys seen in huh. one morning, uh, just a few wow. days ago, and then um, a couple of days after that, they had uh, four thousand two hundred in one morning. Uh, from the Cape Cod beach there. Um, I mean, those are, those are crazy numbers. Those are, that's a lot of dove key. Um, that's, that's really something. Key. Yeah. Yeah. That it, and, uh, one of them showed up a couple of days ago in, uh, Lake Ontario in Toronto. And it's, it's fun to see the photographs because they're, it's really close to shore and it's right at a park on the lake that is about a mile from my mom's house. Like I can, I could walk to that if I was oh, man. for Christmas, but I'm not. You're, you're experiencing some serious FOMO right now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think like I would love to see Dubkey where they are in like a colony, you know, like a big, that's how I want to see them. But I would not be unhappy to see one <laughs> in one of my old birding, you know, areas. Yeah. So, uh, so that, that would have been fun, but instead I'll be in Cozumel. Yeah. No there. Yeah. That's a tougher assignment down that way. Yeah. Yeah. Might, might see, a you know, very bad for seabirds actually Cozumel. Gotta say. The Gulf overall is not, not great for that. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not at all. You know, uh, Dove keys, so you got these little alcids, quick flapping things, rotund bodies, just like the diving petrels, right? Diving petrels are famously known. I've never seen this, and I, I would like to see a video because I sometimes don't quite believe it, that they can fly through a wave, that yeah. they, they can dive into a wave, swim through the wave, and come out the other side in the air. I kind of believe uh, it, you know? I know, I know. I you just kind want of to believe see it. it, but I kind of don't, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's true. I mean, why would people say they've seen it, right? Right. Uh, but sometimes right. people sure. like their stories more than the truth, as, as we well know. know. As we know. But uh, what was really 
astounding to me a few years ago is that the genetic info uh, clarified that they were in their own family. That's how weird these diving petrels are. They clarified that they're not at all uh, their own family. They're, they're nestled in with all the petrels and shearwaters and, and general tube noses. They're just a, a, a branch that's gone short-winged. And that, to me, still, I, I don't – I'm like, really? You know, somebody shake up the uh, – right, yeah, the, the, the DNA there. Maybe somebody switched a few vials or something, you know, and I, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> obviously, that never happens. But um, <laughs> it, it is cool to, to ponder those birds, and, and it's too bad that we don't know a little bit more about them, not only identification, but exactly where – what they do at sea. I mean, what do these little birds, you know, middle of nowhere, some of them head out and just, what are they up to out there? And, and are the ones you see out middle of the ocean from the nearest colony, or are they actually from another part of the world? Like altogether. Yeah. It, it's a bird yeah. that's hard to access where they breed and even impossible to, to figure out what they're doing when they're not breeding. Uh, right. Yeah. That's yeah, uh well, we'll have answers as you know, some of this technology kind of comes online where it's easier to tag some of these birds and, and cheaper, you know, to, to do it. So there's there's stuff coming along uh, that, that could, could facilitate or at least make it more viable. But for now, you know, we, we know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, um, I had two local notes I wanted to touch on before we get a scoot here, yeah. I guess, fairly soon. Um, one of which, Al, is you'll be pleased to know I got my 301st species for the city of Philadelphia the day after I got home I from the trip. I, I think I yeah. know what this is. Yeah. Yeah. I was really, uh, I was really kind of nervous about it. It's one that I have been. All of us have kind of been expecting in Philly because it's a routine vagrant in the region. Um, but I had never seen one. No, one had never been uh, documented in Philly. There was one that was I'm before from about six, eight years ago. Uh, ash-throated flycatchers. Um, yeah, that's you know, regular to the region. Something. Yeah. Now, you might have also been hearing about the hermit warbler, which showed, out, showed up just outside of Philadelphia. And I think it's only like no, the fifth or yeah, maybe I the fifth or sixth record east of the Mississippi, or at least east of the Appalachians. I'd have to check. Very few records in the east overall. And a couple of ornithology students were just kind of hanging out someplace and all of a sudden see this warbler show up. And they got like a phone video of it. And everyone was like, oh, my God, this is legit hermit warbler. Pretty crazy. Uh, and it's been really furtive and hard to see. Uh, for a lot of the time, and it disappears for big chunks of the day. But a lot of folks have gone and seen it. I saw it very, very briefly with my group. Um, other folks there got better views and got photos even, but uh, but did get to see that. But the ash fly was a long overdue bird for me here in Philadelphia. So that was pretty cool. Cool, vagrant experience. Huh. And, you know, I have not seen a hermit warbler in my yard that's one wow. of the ones where it's like overdue. Um, yeah, I would they, think they breed in my county. They, they, I mean, they're in the in the in the mountains here in, in the forest, but they just don't. They're one of those birds that just doesn't go towards the coast, and they head down south along the the ridges, and uh, just you know, hard. It's a matter of time, uh, and you know, ironically, I mean, I've seen more eastern warblers here in the yard than the local breeder, which is crazy, but yeah, that's, that's vagrancy. You've had, you've had more yellow green vireos than you have had uh, hermit warblers in your yard. Yeah. Yeah. I've had more prothonotary warblers than hermit. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. So, I know. I, I, I mean, the way it goes, it's, I'll probably, you know, find a yellow thread warbler here before I, I see a, a hermit warbler. I, I did, you know, like two days, three days into my my return here, I had a white winged dove land at the feeder. That was I saw that. Cool. That's one I want for here. That's one I'm yeah. like. This uh, seems like a remote possibility that I can envision getting in my yard here. And and I did see a new yard bird, which is sort of like a you know, like I'm not like kind of yay. 
because it was the um, uh, skated breasted munia, the oh, yes. nutmeg mannequin, mm-hmm. which are in California and they're expanding. They're they're introduced and established, so we're we're starting to get them. They're really slowly expanding, and so I saw one juvenile here, and what's Really wild. I was in Southern California where they've become more common. The pintailed whita mm-hmm. is present. Another introduced species that's a brood parasite yes. of the munia, which is the weirdest thing. It's an introduced host parasite situation. Yeah, that's I'm a weird not one. sure that's ever happened anywhere else. Yeah, that's pretty bizarre. Yeah, that's bizarre. So, so I guess 20 years from now, I'll have the uh. You know, the pintail white is here too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had one other weird local thing, and I kind of want to issue, I, I think I want to issue a challenge to our listeners. Maybe, maybe oh, this I is, said. this could end up being a terrible idea. We'll see. Issue um, a warning or something. Yeah. You know, well, m- like, more a challenge. Oh, like a, <laughs> I, you know, got back from a month of, of touring, you know, uh, uh, pretty wiped out. I was like, all right, I'm home. Take the dog out back, you know, throw the Frisbee a little bit. And I crack a beer, pour myself a nice pint glass of a nice uh, local IPA here. And uh, and I sit on the, the lawn chair and birds are coming to the feeder. I'm like, oh, the feeder is pretty active right here. Had a sapsucker come in um, to our dogwood and kind of check things out. He's just looking around and wasn't really feeding on anything. He was just kind of like, what's happening here? I was like, that's cool. You know, sapsucker, yellow blade sapsucker. And then the sapsucker takes off and flies very low directly over my head and i swear i swear on my life it pooped directly into my beer and i think i'm the only person ever to have a sap sucker poop in his beer i think that that's that's probably a safe assumption but again i would love to be corrected or if you have other weird bird poop stories <laughs> uh, please, you know, feel free to let us know. Now we're talking about feel bird free. poop here. Yeah. Just to be clear. But I, and I did have, uh, a, last year I had a white breasted nuthatch that as I was looking up at it, trying to determine what it was, dropped, uh, a little something that landed right on my forehead. That was pretty unpleasant, but I'm sure others wow, have had far are... more unpleasant experience than that. Yeah, this is, this is bad, George. This is really bad. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get a bird to, to like crap in your beer. It's so demeaning for it to be a sap sucker. I, just, I don't know. I, don't know. I, like, I almost wanted to bird, try it. I was like, it's probably makes... really sweet and sugary, you know? <laughs> it's probably sweet and sugary. But it's the bird that people who are not birders make fun of, you know, where it's like, hey, you seen the yellow bellied sap sucker? You know, That's that true. kind of thing. And, and the name is too much those, to resist. The yeah. Bird, yeah. The bird that everybody laughs at has just crapped in your beer i yeah i don't know maybe well at first i was furious because i'd literally just poured the beer and sat down and was ready to drink these ipas i'll tell you but after a while i thought you know what that's actually a pretty uh pretty cool experience i dare say a unique experience one i shan't soon forget well Um, go tell those dogfish head folks or whatever out that way you know that they try to make all these crazy ass beers um yeah you know, with, you know, infused with what have you, infused with sapsucker uh, <laughs> fecal material that's been cleaned, of course. Yeah. It would be quite the, uh, quite the. Uh, I like the, it. Um, yeah. Now, if yeah. you were to sell this IPA with sapsucker fecal material that, you know, what would you call it? George's, that is a good question. Yeah. <laughs> George's folly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they have moose drool out in Montana. I feel like we right. ought to be able to come up with something pretty good with, you know, you know, yeah. sapsucker. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's yeah. some good uh, alliteration we could use there, but maybe we'll, we'll save that I know. for another time. Maybe somebody could actually come up with a good beer name for incorporating either sapsucker, fecal material, or something of that, and George, all in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, all, all <laughs> in one foul swoop, if you would. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Oh, I boy. like it. Well, That's yeah. Um, 
On that note, we should probably scoot here, Alvaro. I did want to say we are missing our co-host, Molly Brown, who is in Costa Rica right now on a birding co-op trip. Her, Josh Coville, and a bunch of others are down there. I just saw some fresh video from Molly of a resplendent Quetzal. Uh, Looks like they're having a heck of a good time. We look forward to getting Molly back. Um, And yeah, what do you got coming up, Al? What do I have coming up? Um, holidays, you know, um, and uh, I, I'm kind of looking forward to this, the Cosimo thing for what I mentioned, a little snorkeling and all that. But I do want to see, if possible, the orange Oriole. It is a icterate I've never seen in my life. Mm, so not too be, many of those out there for you, I would guess. a few, but mm. yeah. They're kind of hit, like they're spread out over various geographic places. And this is one that I've, I've been in the range before and it just hasn't happened. Uh, so I hope to see that. And, uh, yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I have my annual visit to the landfill coming up here. Me, Tom Johnson, and some other friends will be surrounded by the gulls. I will no doubt detail for you all the the annual sojourn to uh, – to the big landfill and let you know how that goes. I'd encourage folks to take a look at the Hillstar Nature website when you get a chance. We have some awesome India and Columbia trips that are taking shape nicely. Um, Those trips that are going to go have a few more spots. uh, And there will be no trips to the dump available on that, uh, on the website, but who knows? Maybe uh, that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely probably an untapped uh, uh, group of folks that uh, need to start hitting, hitting. But uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Al, I hope you have a great rest of your day and take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.